great to be with you as always. My wife, Carol, will be joining on uh, Wednesday, and then uh, we'll spend a month or so here, and we always make this our, our church home. It's great to have a family that you can kind of walk right into and feel a part and kind of know what's going on in the heart and life of the church, so very, very grateful to have this place, and thank you for the invite to, uh, to speak again. Well, your series is By Faith. My task is to find something in God's great word that would address the subject matter of faith. And so if I give a, a subject matter or a title to what I'm going to be teaching, and you've already heard from Numbers 13 and 14, it would simply be this, faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible. We'll open that up in just a minute. Let me, uh, let me begin with a question to you to think about. If you had one gift that you could offer to your God, our great King Jehovah, if we had that opportunity to say, I want to give you one thing, what would you give? I don't know that you could actually say, oh, there's this one thing that would automatically stand above all things, but the first thing that comes to my mind is this. I would love to give a demonstration of faith. A demonstration of faith. Now, many of you will be familiar with the text in Hebrews 11, which is really the text that we're really preaching on. Hebrews 11:6, where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so there we know that faith does please God. And in fact, give everything else to God and take away faith, and we give him nothing. So, the description of faith living, let me leave you with this description. It's lengthy for you to try to note it or write it down, or, but just kind of absorb and understand. Listen to what I'm saying as I read this definition that I've written of what I'm going to call faith living. It's believing the Word of God submitting to the will of God, acting as if God has already done what he has promised, and then waiting on God while experiencing supernatural peace. Now I'll read it more quickly. Believing the word of God, submitting to the will of God, acting as if God has already done what he has promised, and waiting on God while experiencing supernatural peace. Now, what is the seemingly impossible? Uh, let me first say what it is not. It is not anything that we greatly desire and want more than anything else. That's not the seemingly impossible that God is asking us to have faith concerning. Not at all. In other words, if I said, uh, I'd like to become a professional athlete this next year in some sport, you'd look at me and say, well, that's not possible. Well, I know, and that's, I'm doing it by faith. I believe God will do anything, and I'm believing it. No, that's not what God's talking about. If I say, my seemingly impossible is become a billionaire in the next year or two. Well, that's not possible. Well, well no, no, by faith, I'm going to do it. Not what we're talking about. Rather, it is these two things. So hear these carefully. Number one, 
It is what God has revealed as his will for us in his word. So something in this great book that he has revealed to be the will of God for us, something that he wants to give to us, something he wants us to do in obedience to him, doesn't matter. Anything that he has declared in this word, that is what we are talking about. It is his own will. For instance, let's think about uh, remaining faithful as a marriage partner. Maybe you have a spouse that you don't, uh, you don't care for, you're struggling with. Maybe you're tempted, you're looking somewhere else. Now, by faith, by faith, you know what God has said to do. He says, no, you're not to do that. So we know the will of God, and we can't say, well, it's God's will for me to, no, we know God's word has made that extremely clear. How about this? Giving of my tithes and offerings. But maybe you're strapped financially. Well, what would we say the Bible says to that? And we say, well, if we know the scriptures, we know that he says this is something we are to do. And so, by faith, we can do it. We know that is the will of God. Or maybe we have an addiction, drug, alcohol, don't know what it may be. We have this addiction. Well, what does God's word say? Well, it, it tells us that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not with wine and other things that can control us, but only him who controls us. So we know that's the will of God. So very, very, very clear there. But there's a second category, and this is where it will get a little bit confusing, perhaps. It's this. God's will, when not revealed in his word. Now, at the very end of my message... I'm going to explain that one. But I want you to remember, it is not just this that we live by faith according. God has given us this very clearly. And by faith, that's the way we live. But we also live by faith when he reveals to us his word that's not in the word of God. That's where it can become a bit confusing. But let's do this first. I want to unpack this by illustration through our text in Numbers 13 and 14. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If not, I'm going to ask you to just depend upon listening carefully as I read, and I'm going to skip. This is a long text, and I cannot spend the whole time reading these two chapters. So I'm going to give you my outline. It'll come on the screen for the text that we're looking at today out of chapter 13. So I will give it in a five breakdown, five points, and I will read the text that relates to it so that we have the story very clear and then a brief understanding can be explained, okay? So let's, uh, let's start with the first point of the outline, God's directive to spy out the promised land. And that's the first three verses of chapter 13. Now, I'm going to skip around a little bit on it, but I'm going to read starting in verse 1. If you want to kind of scan it, fine. If not, just listen carefully. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. There's his will. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses said, 
sent them. Second point of the outline, Moses' instruction to the spies, verses 17 through 20, so I'm skipping quite a bit here. We'll come down to to verse 17. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, go, and I'll stop there. Verse 18, and see what the land is like. And he explains that in the next verses. He says, is it strong or is it weak? Are they few or are the people many? Is the land good, is it bad? Are the cities open or are the cities fortified? So that's their, that's their commission. They are to go out and spy that land. So they do that. 12 people, one from each tribe, and they go. Now the expedition is mentioned in verse 21, and I won't read it, but it's where, if you know the story, they get there and the grapes, I mean one cluster so large that it takes two men with a pole holding that one cluster to carry it from one place to the other. I mean, this is an incredible place, and they're awed by what they see. And this is the very place that God said, this is the land, I'm giving it to you, period. This is your land. Go check it out. And they go to do that. Then we come to number four in our outline, the description of their findings. Verses 25 through 29. 25 starts like this. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel. Skip down just a little bit. This is they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27 says, thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. And you could see him showing off this incredible fruit, the pomegranates, the, the figs and grapes, all the things they had found. But look at verse 28. It begins like this. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Last point of the outline, the majority and the minority reports, verses 30 through 33. And verse 30 begins this way. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. Verse 31 though, but the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people. They are too strong for us. In fact, look at the end of verse 33. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So there's the reading of the text. Now, three truths that are illustrated in our text. Now, these are truths that come from God's Word in all across the Word of God, but particularly we focus on Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need to ask, well, what is it that pleases God? What, what does that faith look like? What, what, give me an example. Give me an understanding of it. This is a beautiful, beautiful understanding. So I'm only hit one of the three today. I'm going to hit the last two next week. But here's the first one. Hear it carefully. Faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible focuses on the will of God rather than the seemingly impossible or the insurmountable obstacles, whatever you want to say there. 
You see, this kind of faith that God is telling us, if you're going to give me a gift, you want to give me a gift of faith, let me tell you what I would love to see you give me. Give me a gift of faith that has to do with, for you, the seemingly impossible that has been clearly identified by me as my will. So as my children, would you live my will? And pick some of those things that are just the hardest for you and attack it with this faith. Now, there were great opportunities, obviously, before the people of Israel. No doubt about it. But there were huge obstacles, too. No doubt about that one. God has given us the greatest opportunity for him to show his power and his work through overcoming our greatest obstacles that stand in the way of the faith venture, the faith walk that he's called us to be a part of. Here's what many of us do. We live our Christian life, and, and we, we're following him. He's this way. I'm going in that direction, and I'm following him, and there's an obstacle. And God says, I want you to go through that obstacle. I want you to go right through it. And we say, well, I want to follow, but I, I don't think that's possible. But I can get there, and all I have to do is go a little different direction. Because I can't be happy with this person. I can't live loving this enemy. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't overcome this addiction. But what I can do is, and it's just one thing after the other that allows us in our minds to say, I still want to follow you. I just can't get over these obstacles. They are too great for me. Then we, we try, we, we do our, give our best effort once and we fail and we give it our best effort a second time and we fail and we apologize to God and we try it again and we apologize and we, we keep trying and then finally we say, I just can't do that. And you know what some of us do? Some of us quit following. Some of us say, I'm not going to be hypocritical about this. I'm not going to just do a, an end run around it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be honest and say, I can't follow you, God. It's just too hard. I can not do it. The reality is, God says, take your habits. Take your character flaws. Take your past. Take your unbearable relationships, your enemies. And then see what I can do. Let's go back to our statement to begin with. Faith living focuses on the will of God. Here's the big question. First, how do we know the will of God? We've already said first when God's word declares it. You need to know this. I think you do, but I'm just going to say it. It's never flawed. It's not only the will of God. It is the wisdom of God. There's no doubt about that. It may appear to contradict in our own logic what should be or could be possible. But let me tell you, it is the will of God, and it is not flawed. So we have that as a given. Exodus 6, 8 has made it very clear for the Israelites. It says this, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So remember those words, will and wisdom. They're coupled together. But I said earlier, and said when I came toward the end of the message, I would explain that it's not just what's in here. It also includes that which is his will, but God's word doesn't say so. 
Some people immediately say, well, you can't know it's God's will. Unless it's written in God's Word, you cannot know it's God's will. You can assume or think, or, but you can't know it's God's will. And I say, that's not true. No, you can know for sure the will of God, even when it's not in the Bible. So the question is, how can that be the case? I'm going to suggest two ways that you can know it's the will of God when it's not in the Word of God. First, when God ordained authorities reveal it. Do you hear that? When God ordained authorities reveal it to be the will of God. What do you mean? How about parents? What happens when the child says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do such and such and so and so. And you go, whoa, no, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, I thought you might say that. And I've been praying about this a lot. And God wants me to do this, I know. And uh, if you'll show me in the Bible, of course, where it's wrong, I won't do it. But the Bible doesn't forbid what I'm asking. And it might be something, I'm going to stay out till 3 in the morning. I'm going to da 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 I'm going to whatever. No, no, no. Oh, I've been praying about it. It is the will of God. Tell me this, parent. Can you as a parent, and kids, listen, you that are a youth in here, listen. When the parent says, no, this is not what you're to do, can the parent say at that point, parent, you think you get that point, can say, no, this is the will of God for sure. You're not to go. That is the will of God. Amen. No. They can't say that. They can't say that. Well, yes, you can. You're right. Amen's good. It, you, you can't do that. The child can't say that. Because God's Word in Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents. This is the will of God. Now, obviously, we got to keep this in mind. Do you realize that a parent is flawed? All of us are flawed. And so when we say, oh, you can't do that, we may not be speaking with wisdom. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. We don't know. But it nevertheless is the will of God unless what the parent says goes against the Word of God. Right? Now, how about number two, government? When the government says, this is what we are saying as citizens you must do, that is the will of God. Where do you see that? Now go to Romans 13, 1 and 2. Obey the civil magistrate. Obey the civil leaders. That's the will of God. But you know what? As we will easily and all agree with this, the government can declare to do things that are not wise. And because we are wiser than they, in our opinion, and perhaps so, we say, I don't have to do that. No, that's the will of God. Oh. How about one-third authority? The church. The church wrestles with an issue. What do we do? By the way, I just thought about adding this as an application because hearing you talk about the school, and I know there's been a lot of transition and all that. I'm not into the details of knowing all that. 
But I know this, we got, a, we got a school at our church, and you don't make a big decision with a school without there being people who take differing sides of what should happen on that big decision. It's not going to happen. Oh, 100% approval, 100% agreement on everything we do. No, that's not real life. And so, well, what do we do? Well, the scriptures say of the church, when the church speaks, that's the will of God. Now, if you go against Scripture, no, no, no. How many times, I remember we were doing this big building program, and, and it was big. It was scary big. But we, uh, the elders felt all agreed. We just said, this is the right thing to do. We should pursue and think it's the right thing. And I can remember uh, some of my friends coming to me and say, Randy, you know, we, we trust you and the leaders. we got great leaders and all, but are you sure this is the will of God? And I go, I am 100% absolutely convinced it is the will of God. I know it's the will of God. They said, wow. How do you know that? I said, because the elders voted to do it. And by the way, I've said that when I voted against the majority of the elders. Now, the elders may not be wise. They may have made an unwise decision. But they made the decision. What do we read in Hebrews 13, 17? Obey your elders, leaders, it's referring to elders there. Obey your elders who watch over your souls. This is the will of God. People forget that. We tend to think we obey when we agree. Well, it, when it comes to these three authorities, their authority is given of God. Listen to this. I won't break the text down, but it is loaded. Matthew 16, 19, I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And to give you a quick understanding, he's saying here to the apostles, I'm giving to you, not just to one person, Peter, I'm giving to you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth, say is obligatory, I'm going to say that's my will. And whatever you say is permissible, loosen. That's what I'm going to say. That's my will. And I'm going to say my will to a lot of things that aren't very wise. But you will obey your God-given authorities. It is a great advantage. It simplifies a lot. When children understand that, when citizens understand that, and when church members understand it, it makes life a whole lot easier to live. Frustrating a bit because you've got unwise parents. You've got unwise you know, uh, government leaders, you got unwise church leaders, and you say, oh, well, this is the will of God. By the way, you can do that which you are convinced is the will of God, and it'll always be the right thing to do. If you're convinced, and it doesn't go against the Word of God, but it doesn't mean that you won't fail at what you do, which is going to lead us to the last point I want to make, and that's this. I said there were two ways. One, when God-ordained authorities reveal it, there's another. When God's people's conscience discern it. So when the conscience says, I am to do something, another person says, well, that's not my conscience. I don't think you should do that. Oh, well, you know what? I think I should. Well, does the Bible speak to it? No, the Bible doesn't speak to it. Well, well, well. What's the will of God? The will of God is to do what your conscience tells you to do. If your conscience is saying you shouldn't or you should, then that is the will of God 
for his people. That's where you can do that which you are convinced is the will of God, not in the Word of God, but convinced it is the will of God for you, and you can do that which you're convinced. Your motives are right, your heart's right, and you go right into it. That does not mean, oh, I failed, therefore I missed the will of God. That's crazy. No, 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 no. I failed, and that's the will of God. Here's the great, great news I just said. When you do follow your heart conscience, and you do it with right motive, you can fail, but always better off because of the failure. The greatest single event probably in the history of Perimeter Church, where is the church that I have had the privilege to pastor for years, the single greatest uh, blessing to our church came from our single greatest failure. Believing by faith, the officer said, let's move, and we moved out, and we did that which we were convinced was the will of God. We did it because we thought, okay, this is the right thing. We believe it's wise. Let's go. God doesn't say anything in the Word, but let's go. And we failed. And because we failed today, I can say probably the greatest single thing that has happened to our church in all those years came because we failed at that one thing. And now we look back and we applaud God and say, oh, God. So don't say, oh, I failed, therefore I missed the will of God. If your conscience says go, then you go. You do it. Now, I'll say this just to illustrate. When our church decided it was or when, when, I, when I decided, and Carol with me, that it was appropriate for us to go to Atlanta to plant a church. I couldn't find anything in the Bible that said to do that. But I wanted to know the will of God. I was challenged by a mentor of mine who just went to be with the Lord, a fellow named John Edmund Haggai. And he said, do this with your life. Attempt something so great for God, it's doomed to fail. Let's God be in it. So the church adopted that as our motto. And so, well, what is it God wants us to do? We were, had a conscience that said, we're to go to Atlanta and start a church. And so we pack our goods, our two-month-old, no employment, just a, a PCA denomination that had just been born that says, we'll give you, we'll give you this amount of money, $15,000 over the course of a year, and that's for everything, your budget, your your salary, your benefits, everything, and you got a one-year deal, and, and we drive to Atlanta not knowing anybody because we were convinced God was telling us. My conscience said, we have to do it. It'd be wrong not to go try. We go to Atlanta, get there and find out that we have to pay our first month's rent. We don't have any money. We're not going to get our first installment till the end of the month, and we got to pay for our apartment, our first month's apartment, and we didn't have the money. And I told the manager, uh, I said, well, you know, uh, I guess you need our money now, huh? And at that moment when we had to have it, and the manager said, uh, well, can you wait till Monday? I've already taken money to the bank over the weekend. Can't keep it in the office over the weekend. W would you mind just, would you do that? I said, yeah. I tell Carol, I said, Carol, they're giving us 
a couple extra days. You know, God's going to supply this. He, he will because we, we've, we know this is God's faith adventure. He wants us to do it. And I knew how it was going to happen. I said, it'll come in the mail. We didn't know anybody in Atlanta. We said, somebody knows us, has moved to Atlanta. We've given our future address to people. Oh, Nothing came in the mail. And folks, I'm telling you, that could be the end of the story right there. And it was the will of God for us to go to Atlanta. It would also be the will of God to pack up and leave Atlanta. Go live with Carol's family or find something to do where we could get a job. Who knows? But you know, on Sunday, and I may have told this story in, in the years past, but I, if we're hearing again, if not. I remember on Sunday morning, I woke up in the middle of the night and I cried on my knees and I wept. And I said, God, a baby needs to be fed. We got to have money. We only have $10 to our name till the end of the month. And we owe tomorrow $600. How is that going to happen? We go to church on Sunday. Big church, First Baptist Church of Atlanta. Walking in to the sanctuary, probably from here to that wall, I see an old buddy of mine that God had used me by his grace in his life while in college. He had moved to Atlanta and was living in Atlanta. And I knew he was making good money. And I saw him, he saw me, and he said, Randy Pope, what are you doing here? And I didn't say it, but I'm thinking to get your money. I knew he'd be happy. He'd love to. He'd even offered me money when I went to graduate school of theology. And, and I turned it down and said, thank you, but I'm fine. I knew he'd be happy to do it. But walking back to take the seat, I knew my conscience said, don't you dare ask for money. Don't you mention need. Not that it would be wrong to for you at that time or for me another time at that moment. And I wrestled with God and said, oh, God, don't bind my conscience because it's disobedience if I go against my conscience. I finally surrendered, sat down. Nothing was said. Just a little bit about the church and what we're doing, this, that, and the other. And offering came and he pulled out a checkbook and wrote a check, tore it out, was, had it folded in his hand. The offering's coming. He's sitting on the back row. He said, I, I was going to have to leave. He'd already gone on the first service. He said, I'm going to slip out when the sermon starts. And so he takes that, that basket or the, the plate. He hands it to the, uh, to the usher. Never put the money in the plate. Instead, he takes that check and he stuffs it in my shirt pocket. And as he did, he said, I hope you'll accept this. I said, I will. <laughs> this one was not going back, I guarantee you. I, not, but I didn't know how much it would be. And I couldn't just, I, I couldn't just, you know, say, hey, how much did you give me? By the way, I need $600. You don't do that. When he left, I pulled that check out, $600, just what we needed. Now, that could just as easily have been a check for $50 and never met our need. It may not have ever been a check. And now we're back to the same problem, still in the will of God. But I'm telling you what, folks, when you start trusting God and step out and act as if he's already provided what you believe to be his will, and you may be wrong on what he's supposed to provide, 
But the big one is this one. When you know God's word says, don't you have that relationship with someone else? Don't you start getting serious with a non-Christian, dating and so forth. Don't you keep that addiction going. Don't you dare keep worrying the way you're worrying. Don't you keep your anger going the way your anger's going. God's word has made that very clear. And that's where we go by faith. So, next week, here are the two things we'll look at next week. Faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible expects fears. There's going to be some fear in there because that, that peace we talked about in the definition, uh, that supernatural peace, that comes as we walk through fears. The peace is given in the midst of every reason to fear. So, but it does not run from them. And that'll be the end, last few verses of 13. And then we'll move into chapter 14. Faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible, trust in God's power, not in one's own resources. So I close with this. What is your obstacle that's standing in the way of you being faith-oriented in what God's called you to? And if you want to have a great treat in life, ask God what it is that he would have you to do in your life and with your life and through your life that would be doomed to failure unless God be in it. It's going to take faith. And you listen to the Lord and you get convictions of what God wants you to do, how God wants you to serve, how God wants you to obey, whatever it is. Has God spoken through one of God-given authorities that you've been shunning? No, I'm not listening to them. They're not right. I know that. That's not wise. That's not wise. Repent of that. Kids, if your parents are telling you to do things and you're, no, why, why, I don't agree. You shouldn't make me do that. I'm not going to do that because that, remember, no. You're bucking against the will of God. You don't want to do that. How do we demonstrate such faith? You know how you demonstrate the faith? More determination? No. Greater commitment? No. Greater willpower? No. Don't believe that for a minute. When you think of that, just remember old Bob Newhart. If you've ever remembered Bob Newhart, many of us old enough to remember that in a little skit he does where he's a counselor and they come up and say, I've got this problem. He says, stop it. No, no, I need help. Just stop it. That's not the way you do it. You appropriate the power of God's Spirit. First sermon I gave in this place when I preached several years ago. That's what I preached on, how to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't remember it, I know. But if you want about a 20-minute explanation of how you appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit, go on perimeter.org slash pope. And you'll see what I recommend. And there's, scroll down toward the end, you'll see a, how to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. Very important. So why did God give us the text? If the text was given to us not for the purpose of of just uh, illustrating, you know, that's all it is, is an illustration of faith. No, you know why he gave us this text? He gave us this text to point us to Jesus. You see, he wanted to show what he does with his people because this is the land of Canaan that had to be occupied so that the next prophecy would be occupied, would be 
uh, uh, become a reality, which took to the next one, which came to a Messiah that would come out of Israel that would have to be in that land. And all of this is all a prophetic plan, and God is executing his plan. He wants us to see, as we read this years and years later, this is what God does. When God's people obey and have faith, this happens. When they don't, this happens. Illustration, but it's pointing us to one person, Jesus, who is the giver of the great promise of salvation. And there's going to be a big obstacle. It's called repentance. And we have to repent of our stubbornness to say, I don't need God to make me better. I don't need God to do anything. I'm good enough. Faith. It's all about faith. And he's just warming us up for the great exhibit of faith that we have to have in order to become a Christian. And then his word reveals. And that faith is given as a gift from God himself. Oh, you know what he's showing us? He's showing us the beauty of the gospel. He's showing us the beauty of his own heart. That's what he's doing. And we get to see a living demonstration and to know that can be our experience as we live by faith every day. Take something small and say, God, I'm going to go ahead right into it. I don't care about the obstacle. And if I fail, I fail. And I'll be better off. And the good news is, if God has declared, you won't fail in that. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege to have a a holy word and then beyond it to have your spirit in us, directing our conscience. Thank you for the authorities you've put in our lives, whoever they may be. I pray that we might be a people who yield to your will. We obey and we watch you do amazing things. Break addictions, break bad relationships that are going on, enable love, conquer fear, whatever it is. God, do an amazing thing among us this next week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.